What a great time to be alive, amen? I'll tell you what, um, when I started to hear about the persecution in Afghanistan, one of the things that I noted when I just was talking to Pastor Dwight, I think at, at Elders on Monday morning, was just the reality that it is only in the body of Christ that someone can be so far away, but you have this burden that says this is a brother or this is a sister. It's just amazing. That's only the body of Christ that you can, and you know why? Because of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit that is in them is in you, and the burden gets transferred from, his, from the Holy Spirit in them to the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. And there's just it just provokes you to urgency. It provokes you to compassion. It provokes you to just pray and do what you can do on your side to see God move in their circumstances. Right. That's only in the body of Christ right. that that happens. Right. You know, Galatians, I think it's Galatians or Romans, says bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is what we are doing when we pray. We are bearing their burden. We may not be able to get over there, but we can get over there by the Holy Spirit through the intercession because as we pray up, how many of you know that clouds move? <laughs> so we create an intercessory cloud that can move over there and drop and unload in that nation. And so, anyways, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, obviously, if you've been here over the last month, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And uh, what I want to do this morning is give you an aerial view of the chapter. How many of you have ever flown before? Anybody ever flown? Okay, well, I love to fly. I love to, uh, I love to ascend and I love to descend. I love uh, experiencing the power of this aluminum tube going down a runway and then just taking off. That lifting force and power is just absolutely incredible. And on the other side, I love to land. I love to, uh, to, to descend and to experience the braking power of these airplanes and see those little uh, slivers of, of, of uh, wings that flap up and the wind resistance and just experience that sound. I love it all. One of the things that I love about being in a plane is that you get a different perspective, don't you? Yeah. You get a different perspective. Uh, how many of you, what, one of the most enjoyable things, I think my first time ever going in a plane was seeing that farmland was in actual shapes. You see those lines, you see rectangles and squares and all of these patterns when you're going over. But I think one of the things I love about a flying is that it, it almost simplifies things. You know when you're over a city and when you know when you're not. And uh, so what I want to do for the next two messages in the book of Philippians as we finish this book is I want to give an aerial view. That is to give kind of like a simple but clear view of these chapters. Because if we go too deep, we go too detailed, uh, it could lend itself to another month, and that's okay. But let's get an aerial view this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I love the heading. Uh, over the, the heading over this chapter in my Bible says, The Goal of Life. The goal of life. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Now that word dogs right there was a metaphor that, um, <laughs> the me a metaphor that Jews often use to refer to other people groups, specifically Samaritans. And now Paul is actually using it to talk about Jews. 
Okay, and, and there's a specific reason for that. He goes on to say, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and I love this phrase, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I, might, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Verse 7, so beautiful. But whatever things were gained to me, say gain to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, um, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, trash, unuseful. And may be found, verse 9, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of, my, of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, say press on, press on. so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That moment, what is Paul doing? He is reflecting on the road to Damascus. <laughs> because Paul knew, I didn't lay hold of God. God laid hold of me. And he's looking back to that glorious experience where, he, where he's on the road doing life, and God absolutely interrupts him on the way to Damascus to bring persecution to the churches there. He knows very clearly that God laid hold of him, that all of his spiritual efforts did not lay hold of God. And he says, I, may, I lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not my, regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I love that. That sounds a little bit manipulative on Paul's part to say, hey, um, it's kind of like this. When, uh, when Allison and I disagree about some sort of decision, she's like, I'll pray about it. Because she knows when she prays, God changes my heart. <laughs> this is what Paul's doing. Paul's like, and if you haven't come to this conclusion yourself, God will reveal it to you. He's like, I'm right, you're wrong, you'll get it in time. God will reveal it to you. If I read that, I would have been like, Paul is so annoying. Because he just knew, this is ultimately where you need to be. And if you don't get it now, it's fine. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you in time. This is what he's saying. He goes on, brethren, join in following my example. I'm sorry, verse 16. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their 
appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship, we've referenced this scripture multiple times over the last week, couple weeks, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This is Philippians chapter 3. So what is the first thing that we see here in the chapter from an aerial view? If we were flying over this text, what is the first thing that we see? Point number one this morning, knowing Jesus is greater than anything you can do or ever will do. Amen. Knowing Jesus is greater than anything you can do or you ever will do. What does that mean? That means you can experience all that the world has to offer. You can be on the pinnacle of the human experience. If you remember several weeks ago, Alexander Great conquered the known world, and it says that he wept in his tent because he said there's nothing else to conquer. Here's a man that is at the pinnacle of the human existence. He literally governs and rules the entire world, and still yet he's in a simple tent, and he's empty on the inside. You can be at the pinnacle of life. All, you can experience everything that the world has to offer. You can attain it all, accomplish it all, accumulate it all, and yet still be empty right. in your soul because your soul has not found its home in Jesus. Right. We experience this even in our relationship with God, where we can go and we can begin to just pursue all of these things thinking that they will satisfy the longing in our heart when we find out that once we have attained them, once we've accumulated, once we've accomplished, we still have a nagging need in our hearts and our souls. And it's because Ecclesiastes says, eternity is in the heart. It has been set in the heart. And what that nagging is, is not for you to go and try to accumulate and accomplish and, and, and get things in this life. It is perpetually there to redirect your focus to Jesus, the only one who can satisfy the longing of your soul. Because Jesus is greater than anything you ever will do or can do. This is what Paul concluded. This is what Song of Solomon Solomon, the, one of the wisest men who have ever lived, he wrote this in uh, chapter 3, verse 4, and it speaks to the same thing. He says, when I found him whom my soul lo loves, I held on to him and would not let go. I'll never forget, in uh, I believe it was 2005, we went to Brownsville for a youth conference, and there was a song that epitomized this reality. And I love the lyrics. It stuck with me since then. It was this, these lyrics. I've searched the world for all that is precious, and found there's nothing more than your presence, Lord. Yeah. It's knowing Jesus is greater than anything you can ever do. Life without knowing Jesus, without knowing the one who formed you in your mother's womb, will always feel insufficient. And Paul shared that truth in 3 verse 7. It, it says this, it says, but whatever things were gained to me, that is to say all of Paul's personal accomplishments, personal achievements, the things which gave him success and stature and status and the upper hand in his life. Uh, these things that he wrote, verses 5 through 7, I, I think we forget the reality that uh, Paul, these were not just religious activities. These were actually things 
that gave Paul status within his cultural context. Paul was the one that you would want to have name dropped. You, want to, you would have wanted to be affiliated with Paul. Paul would have been the one that if you were a young man and you were not living up to the standard, Paul, uh, your mom would have said, you need to be like Paul. Okay, all of those things, all of Paul's spiritual pedigree and his resume would have made him so popular and so well known and one of the people you would have looked up to and aspired to. But Paul says, I've gained all of that. But in regards to knowing Jesus, it doesn't even measure up. It's not even in the same ballpark. It's not even a competition. I've done all of that, and yet Jesus is still more amazing. Everything that Paul once thought was significant, that he had hung his success on, those things he now have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I love the uh, Passion Translation. It says it this way. It says, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for. That is to say, the accomplishments that Paul would have applauded himself for, right? What do you applaud yourself for? What do you kind of hang your your success hat on? Those things, those those things in you, do they pale in comparison to knowing Jesus? To knowing him, not just knowing about him. Because this word knowing is is gnosko. It's literally a metaphor for uh, sexual intimacy, right? Uh, Intimacy, what is that? Intimacy, sexual intimacy is supposed to be the closest thing, the most intimate relationship that you share in your life. And Paul is saying, I, my relationship with God, knowing God on a soul and spiritual level in an intimate way, All of the things I've ever accumulated in my life pale in comparison to that experience, to knowing Jesus that way. It says in verse 7 in the Passion Translation, it says, I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. There's nothing like a personal experience with Jesus. Now, here's the thing, though. We may not have all had a genuine, authentic, personal experience with Jesus. We may not. Now, Jesus has, has, we've experienced Jesus on different levels. But I really feel like this right here, what what Paul's talking about, it kind of, it can kind of be uh, uh, summed up with the phrase, when you know, you know. How many of you have ever had a experience with God that, that you can't talk someone into, you just say they, they've got to experience it for themselves, right? Uh, it, it's, like, it's like trying to explain a roller coaster. Uh, if, I'm going, if I'm talking to someone and I ask them, have you ever been to Cedar Point? I'm not going to break down the drop on the Millennium Force. <laughs> I can't explain it. Explaining Jesus pales in experience to experiencing Jesus. And this is what Paul is doing. Paul is not talking about uh, the, the, the joy, the satisfi- satisfying that comes to his soul from being explained or taught about Jesus. This is about an experience that he, he's had with Jesus. And he says nothing, nothing comes close to that. See, there's an experience that we cannot explain. How many of you have ever had that with Jesus? You can't explain it. And you know what? 
you can't be explained out of your experience with Jesus. That's why we have to have an experience with Jesus. I'm talking about on a soul level. I'm talking about the Song of Solomon. I found the one whom my soul loves. Not just a talk about, not just a explanation of Jesus, but we have to have an experience with Jesus because that experience trumps all explanation. What it does is it turns the light bulb on all the scriptures that you don't understand because now the scriptures that are talking about the one whom your soul loves, because you've experienced them, you're able to connect dots. It's like, yeah, I totally understand that because I know the one that the scripture's talking about. We have to have experience with Jesus. See, this is, by the way, that heading over Philippians 3, this is the goal of life. That, that phrase that was headed over my chapter, the goal of life, what is the goal of life? The goal of life is knowing Jesus and being known by him. And so why, why is Paul talking about this? Why is Paul actually um, talking about how all of the things he's accomplished, accumulated, and uh, been able to achieve in his life, why is he talking about this in this passage of Scripture? This is so important. Because Paul was actually trying to inoculate the church from a spiritual infection. Paul was warning the people in the church to be on guard, in verse 2, from who? From the dogs, the evil workers, and uh, those that were uh, promoting the false circumcision. To sum up what these people were doing, let me kind of give you an explanation. To sum up what they were doing, they were preaching and focusing more on spiritual works more than God's grace. They were focusing more on the spiritual work you should do than the finished work that Jesus did. And they were painting a picture of following Jesus that said, doing spiritual things is actually greater than knowing Jesus. This is a subtle decline that can happen uh, as we, we get uh, into our relationship with Jesus. And this is what was happening. They were painting a picture of following Jesus that said, doing spiritual things is greater than knowing him. These Christians who had received Paul's message and realized that they were saved, accepted, approved by God through the work of Jesus alone were now feeling the pressure to add spiritual activity to their faith in Jesus as a way to become more saved, more accepted, more approved, and more spiritual. Abby referenced this this morning. She talked about how Jesus was enough. He is enough in so many ways. You could do an entire year on how Jesus is enough. But listen, let me tell you, let me, let me encourage you with something. You do not have to add anything to faith in Jesus to be more saved, to be more accepted, to be more approved by God. And, and what religion will do is it will get you to focus off of the finished work of Jesus onto the behaviors and the activities and the things that you have to do to somehow become more accepted, more saved, more approved by Jesus. And this is what was happening. This is what was happening here. Is these people were coming in and they're saying, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, you received Jesus, but this is, this is some stuff that if you really want to be approved by God, if you really want to be accepted by God, if you really want to know God, here's the stuff that you do. Now, I'm not opposed to doing things spiritually. 
I'm not opposed to praying, reading your Bible. I'm not opposed to worshiping Jesus. And I'm not opposed to serving the church and telling people about Jesus. But what I am opposed to is if you are doing it from a place of shame and condemnation to earn or gain acceptance from Jesus. There is a rest that comes to your soul when you totally lean on in faith that Jesus finished it all. This is what Paul is emphasizing. And so this was the problem. The problem was that these people were coming in and they were perverting the message of the gospel by telling people that salvation, acceptance by God, approval by God, and spirituality were all things that had a sliding scale. And through your behavior, you could increase the status of all of those things. Some people actually believe that this was the, the issue that Paul was referencing in Philippians 4 between the two women. That was causing division and disharmony in the, in the church. That one was like, no, you, you guys need to do more. And the other's like, no. rest in the finished work of Jesus. That's where your confidence needs to be. That's why Paul said, put no confidence in the flesh. Do you know that when you are doing things spiritually, trying to earn God's favor, acceptance, approval, love, and affection, that is actually putting confidence in your flesh? Just because you're doing spiritual activity doesn't mean it's not coming from a fleshly place. And he's saying, put no confidence in the flesh. Rest in the finished work of what Jesus has done. See, there's a subtle difference there. But listen to me this morning. How many of you know that your personal salvation is not a scale where you can do things to increase how saved you are? Right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Once again, for by grace you've been saved. Through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no person can Boast. God does not give anyone a spiritual credit score that is constantly sliding back and forth on how saved you are. And so these dogs that Paul's referencing, these evil workers, what was an evil worker? Someone that was evil because they were emphasizing work. Not getting a job, but earning something that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about those that were pushing a false circumcision. This is where there's a delineation between these two focuses. Spiritual activity to gain approval equals religion. Spiritual activity from approval equals grace. That's the difference. See, this issue of religion will constantly constantly have to be addressed within us because we will, we will have a tendency to want to be able to lean on our efforts and our accomplishments and our spiritual achievements for God as a means to know that we are accepted by him. It is actually, I think, contradictory to our nature to rest fully in what Jesus has accomplished for us as the place where we put our faith and our assurance of our position in Jesus. I think it's contradictory to that. Religion will constantly say, no, 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 you got to do this stuff now because you're kind of out of his good graces now. Now you got to earn it back. And Paul's saying you need to trust in this. And this is not, religion is not only an issue within the church. Do you know every person that doesn't even believe in Jesus actually operates from a religious mindset? 
Let me give you an example. Um, I was talking to a kid in a parking lot uh, over here off of Livingston, and um, I was having a conversation with him, and ultimately it kind of led to, I just told him, I said, man, I just want to let you know that uh, God loves you so much, that Jesus loves you so much. And he said, yeah, I used to go to church. And I said, I gave him the church card, and I said, hey, man, I'd love to see you on Sunday morning. He's like, I sleep. He's like, I stay up pretty much all late on Saturday, or all day, all, all night on Saturday. I said, well, we're at 10 a.m. So <laughs> uh, stay, go to bed earlier and come. And so anyways, I'm having this conversation with him, and we're just talking about his experiences. He talked about a church that he used to go to. And I said, I said, well, listen to me. Before I go, I said, I just want to stop it. I just want to say one more time. I said, what would it take for you to understand that Jesus loves you right where you are? And he said this. He said, I guess I will have to go to church to figure that out. And I said, what if you don't have to go to church to figure out that Jesus loves you just right where you are. What is his mindset? I have to do something. The do was going to church. And if I actually go to church, maybe that will give me some credit that I can submit to God as a way to be approved by him. And I said, what if you don't have to even go to church to know that Jesus loves you? And this is what he said. He said, I have a hard time believing that God loves me just where I am because my parents are always on me. Religion. You're not doing what I want you to do. Therefore, you're not loved. You're not validated. You're not affirmed. You're not approved. And now the same mindset has caused him to see God from the same perspective. I'm not being embraced by my parents just because I am their son. I have to do stuff to, to know that I'm loved. And now he has the same thought process in his approach to God. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. This, is, this is what Paul is addressing, a work-based work uh, situation. And so he specifically speaks to this act of circumcision in verse 2. He says, Beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and in glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Why circumcision? Because there were Judaizers. Judaizers. Anybody ever heard of a Judaizer? Okay, let me explain what a Judaizer was. Uh, a Juda Judaizer was a faction of Jewish Christians, both of Jewish and non-Jewish origin, who regarded the Levitical law Leviticus of the Old Testament as still binding to the Christians at that time. <laughs> so you put your faith in Jesus, but that does not extinguish you fulfilling all of the Le Levitical law. Therefore, you need to be circumcised if you haven't been circumcised. Okay, this is, they were pushing this. And can I tell you, that is actually a trend that is happening currently. Yeah. <laughs> it I have received text messages that are questions about if I'm really going to follow Jesus and, 
and follow him, then do I need to live like him because he adhered to all of the Old Testament law? This is a literal conversation that Judaizing is still a problem. It is a movement that is infecting churches where they're like, no, 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 you have your faith in Jesus, but you still need to follow all the Old Testament law. And if you're going to really be like Jesus, then you need to live like Jesus. Therefore, Jesus followed the Old Testament. Therefore, you need to adhere to all of it. Um, he, um, he fulfilled the Old Testament. He was both the fulfiller of the Old Testament and he fulfilled the Old Testament. We're under new covenant, are we not? See, this is what we're getting at. And so there was this movement... Matter of fact, I think it's Acts chapter 15. Uh, these Judaizers that were pushing circumcision, Acts chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem has to send out a letter and disseminate it to all the churches. And they're saying, these guys did not come from us. They didn't come from our camp, pushing that you need to be circumcised. And so as a result, there was once again adding all of this stuff on top of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus plus nothing is where you put your faith. Jesus plus nothing. There is nothing to add to your faith as a place where you put your confidence in the assurance of your salvation. Now, in Philippians 2, Jesus, uh, Paul said, you know, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. I understand that. And there's, there's even deeper realities to that scripture. But I'm just saying that your spiritual effort and activity is not going to be the means by which you get to heaven. You going to church and having a perfect church attendance record is not going to get you to heaven. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm talking to a home team crowd, but I'm just telling you that if you're not careful, you can be invaded and, 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 and have this onslaught of needing to feel like you have to do spiritual stuff to approve, to be approved by God. Now, Paul was confronting this because it was creating a church culture where everyone was one-upping each other with spiritual activity. Uh, let me give you an example. You know what a one-upper is? I, I can't stand one-uppers. <laughs> Somebody clapped. <laughs> one-uppers are the people that jump into your conversation, and whatever you were talking about, it's like they're competing, and you don't even know they're competing with you. And they just come in and they're like, well, you did that. Well, let me tell you what I did. It's like, I didn't ask, but okay. <laughs> this is what one-uppers do. One-uppers will hijack every conversation that you have. And it's like, they'll do it and then they'll leave. Let me give you an example. I was, I, one-uppers are crazy because one-uppers, once again, you don't even know that you're actually competing with them. This, let me give you an example. I was visiting someone in the hospital who had just had a baby. And I had an OSU hoodie on, an OSU hoodie. And another person walks in the room and was like, first thing, not even hi. First thing was like, oh, I see your OSU hoodie, but I got the national championship hoodie. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, were we in a competition and I didn't know it? One upper. And this was, this was what was happening in the church. It was creating this culture with all the spiritual activity where people were starting to boast about all their stuff. Let me give you kind of an example of what that looked like. 
Can you imagine walking into a church where, where people are sitting in a circle and someone's like, I've got the entire book of Proverbs memorized. And then someone's like, well, I fast three times a week. Someone's like, I speak in tongues. <laughs> well, I pray for three hours a day. Well, I feed the homeless on the weekend. And they're all in a circle and they're just comp competing against each other. And then a Judaizer shows up and is like, if you're, you aren't even circumcised, you're not even on my level. This was the culture that was being created as a result of these guys emphasizing all this religious activity, which le leads me to my next point. And once again, all of that religious activity will still keep you em empty. Matter of fact, I think that it will hijack your joy in Jesus. Because when you focus all on your effort, it can be so hard. But what about just focusing, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. That's where the joy is at. It brings me to my second point. Jesus' finished work is greater than our spiritual effort. See, that's different. Jesus, knowing Jesus is better than anything you ever will do and can do. Second point, Jesus' finished work is better than our effort. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says this, he says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I can't, I can't go into all the detail of all these things, but basically what Paul is saying is everyone who wants to talk about and emphasize their spiritual activity and their spiritual stature and status, I'm actually better than all y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a whole nother level. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Uh, why was it important that he said of the nation of Israel? Because after Babylonian captivity, many of the Jews could not even trace back their lineage through that time. And then he goes on to say, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, undoubtedly, I know. I've done my ancestry.com and paid. I know my lineage. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But once again, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul knew. Paul knew that all of that spiritual activity, being perfect according to the law, it did nothing in earning God's grace. It did nothing in earning God's favor. It did nothing in him knowing God more. It was all spiritual activity. There was still an emptiness in his soul until he had that experience and encounter on the Damascus Road that showed him that all that is nothing comparing to really know and knowing Jesus. And he expresses that in verse 12. He says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This is reflection back. Paul is saying, I have more to boast about than all of you. But guess what? In all my efforts, I could not even lay hold of God. God still had to lay hold of me. Okay, four things that I'm going to focus on and then we'll close. Because when you focus on spiritual activity more than the finished work of Jesus, Hebrews 6 actually says that you can walk away from salvation. It actually warns, mm -mm, don't go back to a religious mentality. Embrace grace and embrace faith in Jesus and his finished work alone. 
four things that you will forfeit when you focus on your works more than Jesus' finished work. And these are the things, I'm going to keep it positive, these are the things that you gain when you focus your faith on Jesus. Number one, you gain knowing Jesus. We already know that. Philippians uh, 3, uh, verse 8. Or, uh, yeah, verse, uh, verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus. John 10, 14, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. You get to know Jesus when you put your faith in Jesus alone. Number two, you gain a position in Jesus. That's Philippians 3, 9. That you may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of your own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Do you know how beautiful it is to be in Jesus to be found in him. You know what that means? When God looks at you, who does he see? He sees, he sees Jesus. There's other scriptures that say you are hidden in Christ. Do you know why Revelation says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and the verse preceding that says night and day uh, the enemy, the adversary of your soul makes accusation, accusation against the brethren? Do you know why your testimony overcomes the accusation? Because in the courtroom of heaven, when the enemy is accusing you, God doesn't see you. He sees a trial between the enemy and Jesus. This is the beauty of being found in him. I don't want to be found in my work. I want to be found in Jesus' finished work. Verse 9, you may be found in him. Uh, number 3, you gain Jesus' righteousness, not having a righteousness of my own, verse 9 says, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I think the greatest day in Paul's life was when he understood that he didn't have to earn righteousness. He could become righteous through Jesus. And number four, you gain a glorified resurrection like Christ. That's verse 11. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now this is not, Paul's not questioning whether or not he will be resurrected. He's saying his heart is, I want to do everything I can before I am resurrected. I know that my resurrection is not contingent upon my work. It's based upon what Jesus has already done as he has been a forerunner. He's the first among many brothers who will be resurrected. A res glorified resurrection like Christ. Okay. Do you want two more real quick? Thanks, Beth. <laughs> two more. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was pretty successful in his past. And the thing that stuck out here is this, that your past successes, successes can keep you as stuck in the past as your past sins are. Your past successes can keep you as stuck in your past as your past sins and shame. He's saying, I've accomplished a lot. I've done a lot. And I've also failed miserably a lot. But I'm not allowing past success and past sin and shame 
to both keep me stuck. Most of us, when we think forgetting what behind, what's behind us, we think of shame and sin. Paul's also saying, my past successes too. Okay? Um, what will end up happening if you don't let go of past successes along with sin and shame is you will be the guy that's forever stuck only talking about old things you've done and you never move forward. We are in the 56th year of, church, of Redeemer's Church, and Redeemer's Church has done a lot of stuff, but the reality is, is, is the moment that we are holding on to past successes, we will be stuck. It's a 56th year. It's a new year. It's a new year to, to get unstuck if you have a mindset that says, I want to go back to the glory days of redeemers, what about the glory days that are to come? Because when the glory days that are to come come, you won't even appreciate them because you will compare them to the old glory days. Okay, Paul's perspective was, I've got glory days to come. I'm not going to hang, I'm not going to get stuck on past sin and shame or past successes because they will get you equally stuck in the past. Okay? Here's the last one. I love this. Um, in the midst of all of this, talking about accomplishments and all the spiritual activity and all these things, uh, Paul makes a statement that basically says, if you really want to think that you're spiritually amazing, what about doing this? He says it in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Where the Judaizers and all those that were boasting about their spiritual accomplishments could not match Paul is they were not willing to die for the message. The moment things started to get hard and inconvenient, they would back off. And so he's basically saying, you think you're really spiritually significant and spiritually mature because all the stuff you've done? Will you actually suffer for him? Now, I need five minutes, please. Five minutes. Paul actually addresses in the whole book of Philippians three different levels of fellowship that every Christian falls, falls into. In the first one, in chapter one, he talks about uh, in view of your participation in the gospel of Jesus. That word participation there is the word fellowship in the Greek. It's koinonia, and it's fellowship with the church. Chapter two, verse one, he talks about if there's any fellowship in the spirit. Just because you have fellowship with the church doesn't mean you have fellowship with the spirit. And then he says, let's talk about in chapter 3, a whole nother level of relation, relational experience. Fellowship with Jesus in your suffering. And this is the reality. Some people have a, um, a shallow end of the pool fellowship with God because their only fellowship is just through church. I come on Sunday morning. That's where I get fellowship with God fellowship with one another. 
that, that's shallow. And there, there are people that, that check off their spiritual activity. I fellowship with church. I fellowship through God, with God through the church. And then there's charismatics. Fellowship with the Spirit. It's a whole other level. Which is the intentional pursuit of not only being baptized by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, but having a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And then there's a whole other level that Paul says. And just because you have fellowship with the church and you have fellowship with the Spirit doesn't mean you'll, you'll, you'll fellowship with Jesus through suffering. And he says, here's where we're different. You're enjoying all of the benefits associated with being connected to the community of God and enjoying the amazingness of going from conference to conference, being filled and touched by the Holy Spirit. But how many of you would say, I actually want to fellowship with Jesus by suffering the way he suffered? Do you know who I admire? I admire those Afghani pastors that are in Afghanistan that are saying, I'm not leaving, even if it takes my life. There are some people that have no other option but to fellowship with Jesus through suffering. We have the privilege of living in the country where we don't really have to suffer. But the question is, will you? In the midst of all the suffering that Paul went through, Paul says, there's still suffering that's to come. And I am willing because I, I think there's something amazing. Listen, let me just say this. When I got married, I was a virgin. Is that too much? <laughs> I'm not going to boast about myself, but it wasn't by default. <laughs> I mean, look at me, you know? I'm totally kidding. It was because I wanted to be pure. And um, when I worked at UPS, a lot of my coworkers would give me crap because they would ask me if you've got a girlfriend and they'd boast about having sex with everybody and I'm like, no, I'm a virgin. And they're like, bro, you're gay. <laughs> you're gay. Why is it funny? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but listen, that's not persecution. It's just not. When your head is not on a proverbial chopping block, but a literal one, that's persecution. And I'm just saying that that's a whole nother level. To be so in love with Jesus that you don't shy away from suffering. You actually pursue, pursue places where you will suffer because there's something to discover about the person of Jesus right. in the suffering. That's right. You understand in the suffering that Jesus is not an American citizen. That Jesus doesn't have a rolled up copy of the Bill of Rights in his, in his pocket. Right. Where he's like, well, this says I have freedom of speech, so this is where you see 
how persecution spreads the gospel. Because there's, I'm telling you, if there's any, if you know, you know, I'm just telling you there's something about when you get persecuted that stiffs up your spiritual spine and says, if this is what, this is, this is where you know when Jesus said in John, 5, John 15, 16, or 17, if the world hates you, they also hated me too. And there's a connection that you will get when you suffer, when you, in those moments to say, this is what Jesus was talking about. And you begin to experience this intimacy and this connection. Did Stephen, in all of the New Testament, who was the only one that got a standing ovation from Jesus? It was Stephen when he was being stoned. Fellowship with the suffering. It's a whole other level. You can have fellowship with the body, and you can have fellowship with the spirit. But there may be a day that will come where you will have to make a choice because there won't be another conference you can go to to get another impartation. You will have to get on your knees and say, if this is what my life comes to, then this is for your glory. And he said, regardless of the suffering, I'm going to get resurrected anyways. As Millie Jarvis so famously put, death is just a door for the believer. It is a door to a better life. Because faith in Jesus Christ is the only way that you experience resurrection to life and not resurrection to death. Will you stand with me? (laughs) Personally, I appreciate the fact that you gave me the time for those last two points because I actually feel like God had more anointing on those in the first half of the sermon. It's just my personal feeling, you know I think we really have to ask ourselves, and this is not a a condemning thing, but I think we really have to ask ourselves, what level of spiritual maturity will we go to? Like, will we just enjoy the fellowship with the body? But outside of a Sunday morning, we actually have no personal relationship with Jesus. We, 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 We connect with him just simply through a Sunday morning experience. And then we have the fellowship with the Spirit. But what... Where you go from the fellowship, when you when you go from fellowship with the Spirit to fellowship with Jesus through suffering, that's that's not resisting where the Holy Spirit will want to take you, because you're trying to preserve your life. What level will you go to? And this is where Paul is saying, y'all can't even compare with me. Some of the stuff that you're doing is so trivial. But I've like actually been already raised from the dead because I was beaten to death. In the days that may come that test the foundation of your faith, how far will you go? I just think I just think that there will be such an incredible intimacy that comes through suffering. Because you will know Jesus unlike so many other people. And I actually think it produces 
compassion. I read a statistic that one Afghan church has grown 70% in two weeks because you have Muslims that have done all the religious stuff for decades and their lives are being taken and this is how God treats me and you have churches in the midst of all the chaos they're like if I die I die but you come you come you're part of our family how incredible is that so what degree of fellowship will you have If the time comes, will you share in his suffering? Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? I know it's sobering. If you're in the room and you just say, I want to be able to have that level of commitment to the cause of, the, of Christ. Just raise your hand. Jesus, this is a you can have it all moment. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that whether it just be suffering in life or it be suffering through death, God, I pray that we would be willing to know you in that degree of fellowship. Father, as your word says, we are not those who shrink back. But Father, those that move forward to the saving of souls. And Lord, I pray that Redeemer's Church and those in our body that are not satisfied with fellowship just with the church, or fellowship with the Spirit, but want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. I pray that we would be willing, willing, God, to endure what may come, that we might know you in that way, and that you may be glorified and honored in the midst of the persecution. Jesus, once again, I pray for our Afghani brothers and sisters that are on the front lines in the midst of it all, God. I pray that you would watch over them. I pray that you would cover them, that you would protect them. But God, I thank you for their courage. I thank you for their boldness. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, as Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And Father, that they are standing firm because there's still more souls to be saved. There's still more people to be reached. We thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.